0: well good morning Pentecost are you ready for it a lot of times uh, when God wants to move we're not quite ready for him to initiate what he's going to do and one of the most interesting scriptures for me regarding the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is the one that says behold I do a new thing and we're in an era in an age right now when God is doing a lot of new things uh, we often aren't comfortable with change. We're not comfortable with uh, the disruption of our our uh, convictions, or the disruption of our schedules, the disruption of our processes and procedures. But every time that God needs to do a new thing, He often disrupts the comfortable. Somebody once defined a pastoral ministry as a twofold responsibility of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And so often, uh, part of what God has to do, particularly in times of significant disruption, is to afflict the comfortable, to get us to a place where we're willing to trust that God ultimately knows what he's doing. That we get to a place where we believe that given the challenges of the day, that God looked down through all of history, and he saw exactly what these challenges would be. none of this has caught God by surprise, Uh, He hasn't been sleeping somewhere. He's not off uh, doing something different. He's had his eye upon us. He knows exactly because he anticipated what would be happening. He knows exactly the kind of servants of Christ that he would need for this time. So often uh, in my own uh, thinking about uh, church history, and I had the privilege of teaching church history in Singapore on two different occasions uh, several decades ago now, and I think about the reality that, uh, wouldn't it have been fun? Wouldn't it have been challenging? Wouldn't it have been something to have lived in, in the New Testament period? Or perhaps in, during the, some of the revivalistic periods? Or some of the times in the Great Reformation? But the reality is that God knew exactly what and who he needed in the times that these have become. And guess what? It's you. And it's me. Often we think, what, you know, Lord, uh, are are you sure about this? But God in his sovereignty planned every day of of our walk. He knew when we would be born. He knew what our weaknesses and strengths would be. And so he prepared us as he prepared the future for us so that we could be prepared to make a transformational impact upon the world. It's interesting as you look through biblical history and I believe through church history as well, That every time god wanted to do a new thing it was the holy spirit that was the catalytic agent so when creation began you read in exodus how uh or in genesis how the spirit moved upon the face of the earth that the holy spirit was the creative agent of the godhead Uh, in the times when god needed to demonstrate that he was with his people Uh, He appeared in specific ways to specific people, and he created the nation of Israel miraculously, again, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. When God was getting the world ready for redemption, uh, he, by the Holy Spirit, uh, caused Mary to conceive the one who was the promised Messiah. And as we go through church history, right down to this little community we call Wilmore, uh, over the last uh, 50 years in this community, Every time God was going to do something new, it was the Holy Spirit that moved. And so we enjoy in this little community, a history of unusual responsiveness to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful that uh, one of the things that uh, God has done, which is hard for us to totally understand and comprehend, is that he has invited us in to a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that uh, verse in the book of Acts where they're debating about strategy and where they're going to go next and who they're going to send and and what the significant uh, theological uh, things they're going to emphasize and anchor to. And the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council is this. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. That God is still in the business of partnering with us but he can only partner with us effectively as we are willing to commit to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that uh, work is uh, basically broken into several categories. You know, one is to convict us of sin. Once the Holy Spirit has come upon us, we realize, much like Isaiah did, when he comes into the full presence of God, oh God, I'm undone. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and mine eyes have seen the Holy One, the Holy God. And he sends then his angels, the seraphs, to the altar of sacrifice to bring coal from that altar that would cleanse the lips of Isaiah. And so we're convicted of sin, but that's not enough. The Holy Spirit also convinces us of the solution to sin. It says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit, right? and we can say the name of Jesus, we can profess it with our head, but in terms of the spirit and heart's affirmation that Jesus Christ is truly Lord, that has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot come to God on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Christ and convinces us. And then once we've been convinced, and we then are empowered by the Holy Spirit to confess, So we're convicted of sin, and we're convinced of the solution to sin is Jesus. Then we're empowered and enabled to truly confess, to speak out that belief. That's more than just head knowledge or theological learning. It's a deep burning in our bones that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then as we've confessed that, the Holy Spirit takes up the work of conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a lifelong process. We talk about sanctification as being an instantaneous work of commitment, but a lifelong work of transformation and confirmation into the very person that God wants us to become. And it's interesting, the scripture says that when we get to heaven, we shall know him. Why? Because we have become like him, that we have been conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful in my own journey uh, across the years that uh, it's been the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that has been the key factor in helping me be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I uh, come from a broken home. I've shared my testimony from time to time and my dad was an alcoholic and I ran away from home when I was 13 and was taken in off the streets by a, a free Methodist minister and his wife and over the next five years was exposed to the reality that Jesus lives. We had been raised uh, Anglican, that meant uh, high Anglican in northern Canada, uh, a, a pro-cathedral, uh, had the incense, and we had the antiphonal choirs, and it was uh, a, quite an awe-inspiring experience. But I believe that God was up there, out there, but not ever going to be in here, that he wasn't going to be a personal savior to me. But after I moved in with Jim and Marion Pointer and their four children into the little parsonage where Jim was pastoring two churches that were 60 miles apart, uh, getting paid $40 a week and all the moose meat he could eat uh, in terms of the, uh, the remuneration, I began to sense again, now I understand, that the Holy Spirit was bearing witness through Jim and Marion that Jesus Christ is real that Jesus Christ was the one who had come to save me. After I had been with Jim and Marion for about a year, uh, a significant amount of depression kind of seeped into my spirit. I had come home from school uh, the last time I was home to find uh, my clothes on the front lawn. I was 13, my clothes were on the front lawn. Um, my mother had locked the door and uh, my dad had abandoned us years earlier because of his alcoholism. Uh, but my mom would let me back in the house and she screamed through the door, you're no blankety-blank good, you'll turn out just like your old man, I never wanna see you again. And so I picked up my clothes and and didn't know what I was going to do, but through a story that's too long to tell here in the time we have available, Jim and Marion found me and took me in. And those first several months were just glorious to be loved, to be cared for, to be someone that uh, somebody else was concerned about because that had not been my experience. But after about a year, depression set in, in such a powerful, overwhelming way. And I made the decision. I had kept my, my hunting rifle. My mother had thrown out uh, with my clothes my hunting rifle that I had. And I was just going to disappear into the bush. And uh, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had contemplated possibly taking, taking my life. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But uh, Jim and Marion, in order for them to stay in the ministry, Marion had to work six nights a week as a nurse's aide, from 11 at night till seven in the morning, in order for them to have enough money to pastor these two churches in northern Canada. And so Marion had gone off to work like she usually had, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and Jim and I were sitting at the table having some tea and some burnt toast, which was a part of the tradition uh, in in the Pointer household before you went to bed. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Jim, and uh, he said to me, David, are you okay? Because I was pretty good as a street kid kind of covering up the realities of what I was feeling. And something broke in me, and I said, you know, Jim, excuse the language here, nobody gives a damn about me. You know, my mother and my father have abandoned me, and you know, the, the, the school says I'm too stupid to be in school. My guidance counselor had called me in and told me I wasn't smart enough to be in school that uh, I was about ready to turn 15, and at that point I could drop out of school, go get a job in the mines or in the lumber yards. uh, And uh, I believed that that my life really wasn't of any value. And, And Jim again, now I understand it, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, pulled out his Thompson Chain reference, King James Version of the Bible, standard carry for every holiness preacher in the Free Methodist denomination. Uh, in the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. And he opened it up to Psalm 27. And he said, uh, I want you to read a verse. And take me to Psalm 27, verse 10. You heard it read this morning. When your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. And in that moment, I experienced another agency of the Holy Spirit. That was to take the Logos and make it Rhema to take the written word and allow it to become the living word in a dynamic and special way. And I didn't hear you know, angelic voices and we didn't sing 27 verses of Just As I Am, <laughs> and we weren't listening to scary you know, stories from evangelists, I'd heard a few, you know, that if I didn't accept Jesus, and I'd walk out in the street and be dispatched into a Christless eternity by an out of control you know, garbage truck or something, it was just that sense that everything that I had been seeing in the life of Jim and Marion Pointer, and they were always clear, it was not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so in that moment, I knew God loved me. And I knew that I knew Jesus had died for me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that accepting him I had been convicted of my sin, I knew I needed to repent. I had been convinced in that moment through the enlivening of the word by the Holy Spirit that Jesus truly did die for me. And I was able to say out loud, yes, Jim, I received Jesus as my savior. And from that moment, there was this confirmation that I had been received, that I was a child of God, and that he had a plan for my life, despite despite what my guidance counselor had told me, there was a plan. And then there was another C, there was a calling. There was that sense that that this high school dropout, never did finish high school, my guidance counselor was right, uh, (laughs) that this high school dropout had a call on his life. And and how how do you define that? How do you measure that? I don't know, except you know, right? And how do you know? It's the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God and that He has a plan for your life and that He's got something beyond anything you could possibly imagine. That the Holy Spirit, behold, was doing a new thing. A kid from a broken home, too stupid to be in school, was going to be renovated, revitalized, regenerated, and then dispatched for the work of the kingdom. And so, I found early on in the scriptures some of the most powerful uh, tools of understanding. Uh, Philippians to this day, as I now come into my retirement years, uh, in May I finished up 55 years of uh, paid Christian service. I'm still in Christian service, but I'm no longer getting paid. You know, that's just the reality. Uh, So I've joined the vast majority of Christians around the world. Uh, who serve Christ uh, for, uh, not for pay, but for uh, the opportunity to serve. And uh, some of those scriptures that were so powerful to me, uh, we read in Philippians there in terms of that core, that, that faithful is he who calls you. He calls you so that he can conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And uh, all of Philippians then basically has that same kind of theme. and And... and Having been birthed into the kingdom from Psalm 27, Psalm 27 has been used over and over and over again throughout my own journey these 55 plus years to nurture me and help me understand. And the one scripture that has been kind of the anchor point of my sense of calling has been this scripture that says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. And over the years, in terms of my calling, uh, one of my carnal desires, although he's been dispatched to whatever his eternal reward is, uh, is to take my Ph.D. certificate uh, back to my guidance counselor, stick it under his nose and say something like, na, 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 (laughs) na, na, You were wrong. Uh, God had a better plan and a bigger plan. So most of my career has been focused on the second part of that dwelling in God's presence, to inquire in his temple. But in these closing moments, these capstone years, whatever years God gives me, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me again more deeply about, David, you haven't fulfilled the totality of the calling that I placed on you. And that is to behold the beauty of the Lord to spend time just adoring the King of kings and the Lord of lords, of just worshiping him, going to his word to find new, fresh portraits of who Jesus is and what he calls us to, and to understand that across the years, he has been basically conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ so that I might not just know him, but see him and become like him in the beauty of his holiness. My first full-time pastoral assignment was in the city of Toronto, and uh, I was relatively young in my early 20s, pastoring one of our largest churches in our denomination. And the first year was phenomenal. The second year, I hit the wall. I don't know what happened, but it was just like uh, the preaching didn't get any higher than the ceilings, and people weren't responding, and there was just this deep emptiness in in my spirit. And and I I kept crying out, much like we see in Psalm 27. You know, Lord, I feel like I'm under attack. I don't understand what's going on here. And so I began seeking God more specifically, particularly since Sunday was a-coming, Saturday night, going to the church and spending hour, two hours, three hours at the altar, just saying, God, where are you? I can't hear you. And about three weeks into this seeking, there was this word that came, again by the Holy Spirit. David, the problem you have is that you've not forgiven your dad. Now, at that moment, I hadn't seen my dad in years. I was very angry with him because he had abandoned us. The pain and hurt in our family was just enormous. My mother had serious physical and mental problems, so I I didn't blame her as much as I did my dad. And... Each time I would pray, that's the only word I would get, the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? He's conforming. He's identifying something in my spirit that would become critical to being cared for by the ministry of the Holy Spirit before I could become a minister of the Holy Spirit more fully. And so after two or three weeks, I kept getting the same. word, and I, not to be you know, disrespectful here, but I almost wanted to say, you know, is there somebody else up there I can talk to? Because I really wasn't really ready to let go of the anger and fear that I had for my dad, and uh, the pain. And the Holy Spirit uh, said to me again, you've got to forgive your dad. And I said out loud at the altar of my little church, I can't, and the Holy Spirit spoke again, not audibly, but almost, and said, did you say you can't or you won't? And that stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, oh dear God. I guess if I could, I would. I thought that would be my way out. And then the Holy Spirit spoke again, just as almost audibly. Then why not let the Jesus in you who forgave you forgive your dad through you? I said, say what? Why not let the Jesus in you, conceived by the Holy Spirit, forgive your dad through you? And I thought, okay, I'm safe. I haven't seen my dad in a long time. I said, okay, God, you got a deal. Uh, when I had the opportunity, when I finally find out where he is, and if we have the chance, I, I will try with your help, the Spirit's help, to forgive him. The next week, I was downtown Toronto at the Harbor Light Mission on Jarvis Street. And I, uh, we have a long history with the, with the Salvation Army. When my dad had abandoned us, the Salvation Army used to come by every couple of weeks with bags of groceries so that we would have something to eat. And so I was familiar with the Salvation Army. And because of their ministry to us, I decided that uh, I wanted to help wherever I could. So I would go down and go to the Harbor Light Mission, which was the street mission that took in alcoholics and drug addicts and street prostitutes, and was there on a Wednesday evening uh, speaking. and I gave a simple gospel message, about 300 uh, people had come in off the street, and uh, the, uh, the, the practice of the Salvation Army is to take the front pew and turn it around to face the congregation and call it the mercy seat. And so it was standard fare that when you finished preaching, you would invite people to the mercy seat, so I did nobody moved. Uh, It was really a powerful message that night. (laughs) Nobody moved and uh, they were anxious to get downstairs where they could get some food uh, and uh, some soap (laughs) and some soup and and basically some sleep Uh, and they were waiting for me to get done. I was the only thing standing in the way uh, of their night of of rest and the uh, the the captain leaned over, grabbed my shirt, coattail and said give it again Salvation Army is very persistent in terms of inviting people to Christ. And I thought, well, Holy Spirit, you know, you're the one that has to move, and I've done the the best I could. And so I gave it again. And in the back corner, a man got up. And he started down the aisle. And when he got halfway down the aisle, I recognized him. It was my dad. My dad was a drunk on the streets of Toronto. And that night, he'd never come into the Salvation Army before. But that night, he told me later, something prompted him. What was that something? The Holy Spirit. Something prompted him to come in. And there, to his surprise, was his son, who he hadn't seen in such a long time, declaring the truth that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And he came to the mercy seat, and the captain and I led him to the Lord. And that night he received Jesus Christ as his personal savior. And then he went in as a cook at the training college for officers there in Toronto for the next several months and was ministered to day after day after day by these uh, young men and women who were called to ministry. He was ministered to by the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can imagine my preaching the next Sunday where there was such a release, such an understanding, as Jesus continues to conform us into his image. I've learned a lot on my journey as an educator. I've got uh, all of the heads of doctrine down solid. You know, I can define sanctification 50 different ways and, and uh, say holiness correctly and all of those kinds of things that uh, in our Wesleyan-Arminian movement uh, we're instructed and asked to do. And so, I, you know, I've got a head full But in these capstone days, I need a heart full. I need to have, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying, filling work of the Holy Spirit. And I find that one of the most precious places to get that understanding of who Jesus is, that understanding that he, yes, he's rabbi, rabboni, teacher, but more importantly, he's shepherd. He's the shepherd of our hearts. And I want to see him more clearly in his shepherd role, his caring, loving role. I want to see him. And the way I do that is through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, particularly at this table. And as we come to this table today, as Jessica leads us in just a few moments, I hope that it will be more than just a head knowledge. We we, we understand what these symbols mean. We have gone through it. We recite the various... uh, Uh, traditions that are important for us to understand the true meaning and the solid theology behind it. But something that our, our Catholic friends believe, and we don't believe it in exactly the same way, is that when we come, we should anticipate a real presence of the Lord speaking to us, revealing himself to us. Now, we as Protestants don't believe that the elements become the the actual body and blood of Jesus, but they represent for us that one who came as the good shepherd, as well as the Rabboni teacher. And so I'm so thankful in these capstone years that the Holy Spirit is still at work, as it says in those scriptures we read, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so as Jessica leads us to the table, May we affirm what we know, what we've learned by inquiring in his temple. But may we also, because of the Holy Spirit's presence, see Jesus, the beauty of him, and all that he has done for us, is doing, and will do. The scripture in Psalm 27 ends with this. I would have fainted had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. As we come to the table, may we see him in all of his glory and all of his goodness. And all of God's people said, Amen.